0: Well, good morning. I am so excited to be with you this morning. My name is Sam. I'm the Youth and Young Adults Pastor here at Maple Ridge Alliance Church. We are in a series called Identity Theft. We are going through the book of Ephesians. And today, if you have your Bibles, uh, you can always pause the video and go and grab them now. But we are gonna be uh, in Ephesians chapter three, verses one to 19. I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna dive into today's sermon. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time that we can come together. God, I thank you for the words that Paul wrote to the Ephesians, how applicable they were in their day and how applicable they are to us as we find ourselves in the times that we're living in. God, would you be with us now this morning, wherever we are, uh, on our couches, in our pajamas, uh, during the week as we're watching this. God, would you speak to us now. Thank you for how much you love us and you care for us in your name. Amen. Well, these last few months being in quarantine have had me thinking about the plans that Melody and I would normally be making uh, for our summer vacations. Maybe you've been thinking about the places that you are hoping to go when things open up again. Uh, Maybe there are places that are really special to your family, where you go each and every year that are filled with traditions and memories Well, for us, just over an hour drive away, tucked in the shadows of Mount Baker, there is this really special place for Melody and I and her family called the Glen at Maple Falls. And this is my place. To me, there is no other place like it. Melody's parents were gifted this place uh, when Melody was younger, and they've been going there every year since she was little, and now that I've married into this family, it has become Melody and I's place to go. The thing we look forward to each and every summer. It really is an escape from the normal life, uh, a place to rejuvenate, a place to relax at the Glen. You are either an owner of a property, a trailer parked on a little piece of land, or you are someone who's been invited uh, by an owner, maybe a friend or a family member, to come into the Glen. Walking around, hanging out at the book nook, swimming at the pool, trying to play disc golf in the forest, everyone you see just seems part of this community called the Glen with access to all the amenities and privileges that come with being a part of the Glen. And as we dive into Ephesians chapter three today, Paul is writing this letter to a group of believers that are trying to forge a new community amongst themselves. They find themselves reassessing traditions and stereotypes in order to come together into a new family of God with no more of these dividing lines that have separated them for so long. This week, as I was studying Ephesians 3, as I was thinking about what to preach to you this morning, I kept thinking about being at the Glen, and how to me it's kind of this perfect picture of people coming together, essentially becoming a brand new community. But spending two weeks in the summer on vacation with no worries and no responsibilities is not real life. And maybe you have been feeling the weight of living in community with others lately. I think we've all been dealing with different decisions, especially over these last couple months. Maybe you've been thinking about who you're choosing to interact with. Maybe you're opening up your circle this week. Who are those people going to be that you're going to interact with? Who are you letting in to that circle? Are you judging people for holding different opinions or making different decisions than you, around you? Are you seeing them and wondering why they're making those decisions? Are you going to the point of judging them? And maybe you are making decisions and you're wondering who's looking in at you uh, and, and trying to deal with the decisions that you are making for you and your family. We don't live our lives in isolation, but we are constantly affecting and being affected by the community around us. Paul, the, the writer of Ephesians, is literally changing the way the people that he was writing this letter to would look at the church and who had the right to be a part of this life-changing community. The Bible Project sums up uh, Paul's stance here in Ephesians by saying this, Paul shows how the good news should create ethically diverse communities that are unified by devotion to Jesus and to each other. Ephesians chapter 3 is this incredible, incredible reminder of things that level the playing field when it comes to living together as God has called us to. So we're going to go through three different things today. And the first one is this, gatekeepers, gatekeepers. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 4 to 6 says this, When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. As you drive up to the glen and you turn the corner into this forested area, there is a line, a gate that defines whether you are in or out of the property. Many times we drive in late at night, we go after work, and we have to stop, talk to a security guard, and show our credentials in order for them to let us in. Paul, in a way, is a gatekeeper. He's been placed on this earth to reveal the mystery of Christ to those Gentiles and Jews, those he's writing letters to, those he comes in contact with, those he's preaching to. Verse 6 says, this mystery is that the Gentiles, people who are non-Jewish in in heritage, are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. God was expanding the credentials, as it were. He was sending out more invitations, uh, giving more access to him through Jesus. This was always God's intention. He just chose to reveal it at this time through Paul for the Gentiles and also for the Jews to understand that it wasn't just them anymore. They were, they were God's chosen people, but they were not the only ones with access to God. Let's be clear, Jesus dying on the cross and being raised from the dead on the third day was a game changer. The Old Testament was all about the Jews and their relationship with God through many, many generations. And you can understand why this relationship uh, seemed so special to them, why they held so tightly to that, let alone all the things that God took them through. But Exodus 6, uh, verse 7 says this, "'I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians.'" God was revealing himself and his nature and his plan throughout the Old Testament to the Jews and through his relationship with the Jews. He was laying the groundwork for people to understand the need uh, for Jesus and for the cross. Because the Old Testament is riddled with stories and imagery of how no one could live up to the law. The Jewish nation would continually sacrifice over and over again, covering covering their sin, covering uh, their choices to go their own way instead of following what God wanted them to do. And this set up the very real need for one great and ultimate sacrifice found in the person of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10.10 says this, We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. God's intention was always to allow everyone the choice for relationship with him. And the Israelites clearly missed the signs of God's plan, that that God's plan was for everyone. They missed those signs throughout the Old Testament. Once Christ completed his work on the cross, it was time for Paul to reveal the mystery, to follow through with God's plan, to be a gatekeeper, uh, to show all those people that they could come to Jesus. And while a tighter hold was kept on the gate for a time, there was a new mandate, a new gatekeeper that grants full access for all those who seek it out. Romans 16 verses 25 and 26 says this, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all the nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. Listen to this. The gatekeeper and the gate are in essence one and the same. Jesus points us to God through his blatant and necessary act of love on the cross and in the same moment becomes our way to access God, the gatekeeper and the gate, in essence, are one and the same. See, gates are usually for either keeping people out or, in, in some cases, keeping things in, but neither is true in Jesus. Through him, we have unprecedented access to God, and we will talk about that more in a few verses. This access is freely offered to all who would come, to all who would listen, to all who would accept Jesus as Lord. Point number two, we're going to talk about life in community. So we have one gate, we have one gatekeeper, and those that go through that gate, who are led in through the gate by the gatekeeper, find themselves living life in community. At the Glen, you have a community of people made up of all types of people from different cities and towns. Live, they live on different streets and avenues. They even come from different countries. And yet, in a sense, there is this community and this togetherness that comes from finding ourselves on the same property for a week or a weekend at a time. There is even this thing that we've started doing, me and my brother-in-law, my father-in-law. Uh, we do this thing called the Glen wave, and it goes like this. You put your hand up and you kind of put your head down. It's kind of like this while you're driving. I don't know where it started or, or sometimes why we keep doing it, but it's, it's just this thing that we do to, to greet one another, to, to show, hey, we're, we're in this together. We, we come and say hi to one another. We greet them with a wave. But here's the thing, just because I am allowed through the gate, so I have the right credentials, I've been, I've been brought through the gate into the glen, I've been let into the community of people, I still have a choice of how I'm going to live once I'm in there. Can I make the community better? Or am I going to choose to keep to myself? Am I going to choose to be disruptive or disrespectful, selfish, or even hurtful to the community? Or am I going to help and build um, up those around me. See, the gate doesn't automatically change my behavior. My intentions for entering might be, might be incredibly genuine for wanting to be a part of this community, but the proof will always come out in my actions and my interactions with those around me in community. Paul knows that what God is revealing is, is so huge and people are going to have to come to grips with it. But there's an importance that goes deeper than people merely getting along or just living together. Ephesians 3, verses 7 to 10 says this, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things, so that through the church, listen to this part, verse 10, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might, be, might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. I want to work backwards for a second. We don't don't always always do this, but I'm going to work backwards just to, to help us understand what Paul is saying during this section. At first glance, it would be easy to read over this line, but Paul is trying to show us something about how God is revealing things to us and to the world. The last part of verse 10 says, "...made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places." Harold Honer, in his commentary, puts it this way, "...throughout the ages, good angels have tried to decipher God's plan, but were unable to do so. No doubt evil angels also wanted to know God's plan in advance in order to frustrate them." Paul has been showing that the mystery of the church, composed of believing Jews and Gentiles, united into one body. This was a revolutionary new concept, Through the church, the angelic leaders, both good and evil, gain knowledge of the manifold wisdom of God. It is easy for us to believe or understand that if there is indeed a God who created us and the universe and the earth that we live upon, that there may be a chance that we might not know everything that is going on in the mind of that creator, that we might not know everything that is at the heart of God. That the only way to get a clear picture of who he is and what he wants is through God revealing those things to us. It seems that the same goes for the spiritual beings, both good and evil, that they don't have a detailed program like a play, and they can see, well, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and then this must be true, and then this must be true. They are checking out the scene, the way that it's playing out, and, and for them, they are hearing and seeing things maybe for the first time. And so the church becomes more than a building, much more than simply a group of people gathering. It is an important conduit for God to use to reveal himself both in the physical world to those around us, but also to the spiritual world. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 13 says this, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Everyone is being called by God through one gate, through one gatekeeper, who is Jesus, for the express purpose of sharing God's manifold wisdom. One commentator talks about this idea of manifold that Paul uses in verse 10. Uh, This word is is used on a rare occasion outside of the New Testament to refer to intricate embroidery or flowers of many colors. And this is the only occurrence in the New Testament where this specific word is used, and it's this idea of most varied or very many-sided. I love that God's wisdom and truth can be described as intricate embroidery or, or flowers of many colors that the truth of God is so beautiful and intricate and that we get a chance to know some of what God's heart and, and mind is all about. That when the church is living up to its calling, that people are drawn to God through that wisdom as we live and live out the things that God is calling us to do. See, the Glen is a place that I love because of the way it was built, the amenities uh, that we get to enjoy, the rest and relaxation that it brings. All of those best memories from the Glen are, are built on community, on being with other people. See, if people didn't take pride in their properties, if they didn't follow the rules, if they didn't treat people with respect, if they didn't give them the old Glen wave as we walk by then why would anybody want to come in and be a part of that community? They would look and find other places where they could fill the void, find other options to fill that need in their life for community. The church should be the most compelling example of community to our world. And yet so often churches are the reasons why people won't even listen to the truth of God. John Piper puts it this way, The target for the church is to demonstrate to the evil powers of the cosmos that God has been wise in sending his Son to die, that we might have hope and be unified in one body, the church. Therefore, when we fail to live in hope and to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, we send this signal through the galaxies. God's purpose is failing. He was not wise." He was actually foolish. God wants us to understand the priority and the purpose that God places on the church and his plan for the church. And he wants us to understand that God has chosen us to be the ones to carry out that message, to help share his manifold wisdom with others in our community, our community as a church, our communities that we find ourselves in, our jobs, our schools, um, all of those things. God has set us up to live life in community and for a specific purpose. The last point is this, all access, all access. One community through Jesus, having complete and total access to God. Paul emphasizes in chapter two, if you listened to Pastor Rob last week, and then now in chapter three about this mystery, where Jews and Gentiles are being told that they neither, neither one of them has any more right, any more access, any more claim on the relationship that God is trying to have with his creation. Ephesians 2, 19 says that through Christ, all of us are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, which means that there is even more weight even more importance put on these final verses in chapter 3. And Paul pens these words that have had such profound, that can have such profound impact on our lives. But we rarely step into the power, and I know I'm guilty of this too, and the promise that God is offering in these final verses of chapter 3. Ephesians three eleven. 11 uh, 11 to 14 says this, This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you to not lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named." It is not merely that we have just been given uh, all access to God. But as we approach the God of the universe through Christ, through the gatekeeper and through the gate, that God is telling us to come with boldness and with confidence. When I think of bold and confident, I think of one story of, of my friends. Um, every, every year there's all kinds of different bands that roll through Vancouver and put on concerts and, uh, and usually if you go to get tickets, one of two things happens. Either it sells out almost instantly, or, uh, <laughs> or when you go to buy them, you'd have to remortgage your house in order to get a ticket close enough that you could actually see who is performing. Uh, I don't remember if my friends even tried to get tickets or if they just couldn't get tickets, but I remember them telling me how they got into the concert. Uh, They drove down to Vancouver, down to Rogers Arena uh, the night of the concert. And I can remember my friend uh, turning to his girlfriend and saying these things to him. Just keep walking. Act like you know what you're doing. Act like you're supposed to be here. Long story short, they they walked hand in hand uh, right through the crew entrance and nobody questioned them. They walked all the way to the floor and stood near the stage and watched the entire rest of the concert boldly and confidently just walked into Rogers Arena like they were supposed to be there, like they had all access to what was going on. And God has been bold and confident in approaching you. Listen to that. God has been bold and confident in approaching you. For those of us who have accepted Jesus as our Savior, accepted that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, who's, who's had Jesus intercede on our behalf before God. How many of us are still sitting back waiting for a ticket, waiting for an invitation for us to come to God? I feel like it's so easy sometimes for us to fall in the trap of, of trying to do everything in our own power, trying to think things through over and over again, exhausting every option before we go to God instead of walking boldly and confidently into the presence of God and talking to him about the things that are going on in our lives, whether they're, they're good or bad. Hebrews 10, verses 19 to 22 says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed pure, with pure water. Coming to God with boldness and confidence would have been a crazy idea for, for the Jews to wrap their minds around, let alone the Gentiles who felt like they had been kept far off from everything God was doing. Listen to how one commentary puts it. Before Christ died and entered into heaven, there was no such access to God's throne. Man had no offering which he could bring that would make him acceptable to God. But now the way is open. Access is free for all, and all might come with the utmost freedom. The word holiest for Israel was the holy of holies in the temple. The entrance into the most holy place was forbidden to all but the high priest. But now access to the real Holy of Holies, the presence of God, is is granted to all in the name of the great high priest, who is Jesus. And so now Paul is not only saying that Jews have unprecedented access to God, the Father, but all who would come through Jesus, the gatekeeper, and the gate, that all would have access as well. Access that should be taken, not timidly, not with fear and anxiety, but boldly and confidently. And I believe that Paul, in the, in the next few verses, gives us four things that we need to take into account when we come boldly and confidently as we approach God. These four things help to, to build and inform the way in which we come to God. What I mean is that these four things build in us the ability to come boldly and confidently to God. And at the same time, they inform and advise us in the way that we should approach God. The first thing is this, that we are strengthened with power through the Spirit. Ephesians 3 verse 16 says this, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. Everyone who comes to God through Jesus has access and has been gifted with the Holy Spirit. And there are no levels to the Spirit. I love seeing a child come to faith, come to decide uh, that Jesus is Lord of their life, and they are gifted the exact same Spirit that you and I have as adults who believe in Jesus. We all have access to the same Spirit, and we are strengthened by the Spirit. We're strengthened for a few different reasons. We are, we are strengthened so that we can endure the trials and challenges that we know will come up in our lives. We are strengthened to live out our purpose that God has created us for, and we are ultimately strengthened to bring glory to God and to point people to Him in everything that we do. Number two, Christ dwells in our hearts. Ephesians 3, verse 17 says this, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ, love this verse, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I love being reminded of the truth of Galatians 2:20 that no matter the situation, no matter the conversation, no matter the struggle, the celebration or the trial that Jesus is walking with you in all of those things that in a community of believers as we interact with those uh, that are also uh, have Jesus as their Lord of their life, that we are interacting with them and Christ dwelling in them as well. God is not one to just uh, tell us what to do and then hope that we do it. No, he is willing to send his spirit to strengthen us and also to have Christ dwell in us and walk with us as we go through these things number three rooted and grounded in love Ephesians three seventeen again says so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love rooted and grounded remind me of two things rooted reminds me of plants and being planted and if plants have roots and they are digging down deep that it means that they are alive and that they are growing And grounded makes me think of a foundation of a building that when it's built strong and everything else is built on top of it, that that it is is solid, it is firm. As we grow in our relationship with God and as we seek to live in community with one another, this is the kind of love that we should be trying to strive for and be rooted and grounded in. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 to 8, says this, very famous verses. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends, rooted and grounded in love. Number four, last one is a deeper knowledge of who God is. Ephesians 3, 18 to 19, our final verses for today, says this may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. God is knowable. He is revealing stuff to us through his word, through his church, as we've talked about, through, through believers interacting with one another, through the spirit speaking to us. He is constantly, constantly revealing things about himself to humanity we can spend a lifetime studying and conversing with God and still never have the complete picture of how great his love is and the grace that he has for us. And that shouldn't scare you off from trying. It should be a comfort that we serve and have a relationship with a God and a creator uh, that is so big that we can't, we can't describe him and put him in a box that we can't tie up who God is in a nice uh, tiny explanation that you sh- that we are all called to to come to God boldly and confidently all of us who come to God who live in relationship with him we have a relationship built on these four things And those four things should inform the way that we have our relationship with God, but it should also inform the relationships we have with others as we live in community and interact with those around us. I started talking this morning about one of my favorite places in the world, the Glen. The problem is that that community, the memories I have, the benefits, uh, the good things that I get to experience are all tied to a specific Uh, geographical location and a specific window of time. There is a spot where the Glen sits in Washington, and I normally only get to go there in the summer. Unfortunately, this isn't how life works. We don't live our lives in isolation, but we are constantly affecting and being affected by the community around us. Where so many things in life seem uncertain, even right now, seem unclear, seem unknowable, where we just are searching for answers uh, to our questions, God is saying to come to him with confidence, seeing, seeing clearly what he is doing and knowing that through that relationship he will shape and mold your life. And more than that, as we see those people around you, that he is calling you to live in community with him, to experience those things together, to experience all the access um, that God has for us. That they, those around us, have every right, the same as you and I, to come through Jesus with boldness and confidence into the presence of God. I think a lot of times for us uh, who are believers that we take for granted or even forget the privilege and the honor it is to be called sons and daughters of God. And we, we oftentimes take the timid or fearful or anxiety-filled approach to coming to God because we'd forget about the love that God has for us and that he's called us to come to him boldly and with confidence and that through Christ, he as the gatekeeper and the gate uh, can help and dwells in us and comes with us uh, to God with our problems and, and with the good things that are happening in our lives and with our doubts and with our questions. If God is big enough to ask all of us to come boldly and confidently, then God cannot be scared off by, by your doubts or your questions Uh, or the things that you don't understand. God wants you to come boldly and confidently even with those things. We have a mandate as a church and a privilege to share the mystery of the church with those around us. Our connection, comfort, and relationship is no longer defined by space or proximity but in the community we find with God and with those who we are called to be in relationship with and with him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for these words in Ephesians chapter 3. God, I pray that I would be more bold and more confident and that those that have heard your words this morning would, would even come to you today with more boldness and confidence, God. We thank you that we get to live in a community in which you dwell in us through Christ Jesus, that you have strengthened us with your spirit, that you have rooted us and grounded us in love for one another. God, would you help us as we, as we interact with those in community, as we uh, weave our way through coming out of uh, isolation and quarantine, as we, as we make decisions, as we see others making decisions, God, God, would you help us as the church, as believers in you, um, to be a light in our community, God? We just thank you for this morning.